welcome to episode 3 of Lead from the Deck, an unofficial podcast for Skytear, the card-driven tabletop MOBA by PvP Geeks. Hosted by me, Adam Levitt, with music provided by my wonderful wife, Emmeline Levitt. Today we will be doing a deep dive into Karomo, the Red Fire Faction. I am very excited for this guide. Uh, Karomo has historically been somewhat less popular of a faction, and I think it's just because people don't uh, haven't quite figured out the uh, the core the secrets of playing this faction so hopefully i can shed some light on it as we go over this and uh, everyone can have as much fun playing this this red faction as i have over the last couple of weeks i uh, i like to start these episodes off by talking about the lore behind each of the factions because i find it actually does a a fairly good job of uh, kind of informing what the faction's about They've done a very good job of uh, marrying the lore and the mechanics of the uh, the factions in this game. So, here's what uh, the, the rulebook says about Koromo. It says, Koromo is a lively god, passionate and caring about its followers' needs. Most of its people's creations, from the simplest agricultural tools to the finest and deadliest war machine, are created under its guidance. Heroes of Koromo can submit their target to the god's judgment, and a burnt mark appears on the target's skin. Koromo heroes are naturally attracted by marked enemies, like wolves by a bloodied prey. It then says, Fire runes are produced by mage crafters of Kano in hidden magic forges. They are often carved in items like bracelets or weapons, letting the magic flux enhance the body and the fighting skills of their bearer. Through them, the sky tier energy is converted to physical strength, agility, or reactiveness. Uh, that last sentence especially, I think, gives you a good idea of kind of what the Karomo cards are doing, and, and their heroes as well. But uh, a lot of the cards are all about um, enhancing the, just kind of like the natural attributes of their, their heroes. So boosting the attack stat, or changing the attack, or or kind of, uh, uh, yeah, actually it's mostly just around the attack. Uh, Karomo, um, as we went over in the faction overview, they're biggest thing that their faction does is modify your attack action they have a few other really nice things that their their card pool can do but that's one of their main strengths so i want to go over the uh, the general strengths and weaknesses again just to, to give you an idea kind of start things out give you a, a general overview of the faction that way if you uh if you don't really care about karomo you just want kind of a general overview you can just check out once this part's over so uh why would you play karomo what what makes them exciting what are they good at well, uh, the first one is, is like I said, it's they modify their attack action, and they can do insane amounts of damage with just a, a basic attack. Uh, they have access to Frenzy, which lets them attack twice. They have lots of attack modifiers, and they have really good uh, modifiers on their cards for when you flip a card to, uh, to boost your attack. Um, they also have a, a surprising amount of three-cost cards. They have five of them, which is uh, the, the most out of any of the factions in the game. And this does a, a really good job of helping to shore up their their obvious weakness of control cards in their deck. That actually brings me right into their, their next strength, which is killing minions. See, they're very, very good at, at killing minions. They have three of, of uh, three really good cards for doing it, as well as Frenzy, with it being their main status effect that they can apply. That can also be used to just kill two minions on a turn as well. Whereas a lot of the other factions, like Blue, for instance, is very good at like spawning minions, and Green's protecting them, and so Reds is more about, they just kill minions, and that's all they do, and they are very good at it. Uh, they also, uh, their their worship ability is is fairly cheap, and what I mean by that, I, I talked about this in the Nupton episode as well, but um, the, the best example of this is the Blue faction, the Othan. Their worship ability I would consider to be the most action-expensive. Uh, it has really, really good abilities, but every time you want to use their worship ability, you have to use the worship action. Whereas with Karomo and, and Nupton, um, you don't necessarily have to use the worship action every single time. Uh, Nupton is a lot more this way. They, they can just worship once and be done. But with Karomo, you can benefit off of each other's worships. So as long as someone marks an enemy, everyone on the team can benefit from it. Uh, maybe not to full effect, but uh, it can help kind of lower that action cost of taking advantage of their, their mark ability. And, uh, and lastly, my, my favorite thing about Karomo is their ability to um, capitalize on an opening. Uh, this is something I talked briefly about in the faction overview, but... Um, a big part of why I think Karomo came out of the gate somewhat uh, less popular than the other factions is because they uh, 
<laughs> they play a little bit differently than than you would think when you look at them. Um, they're very much about capitalizing on on weaknesses or openings or mistakes that your opponent makes, or even just a vulnerability if they happen to leave a, a character one hex too close or something like that. Um, and and one of the easy things to do with red is to overcommit to uh, a seeming vulnerability or an opening in your opponent's defenses. And, uh, and it hurts really bad when you overcommit with with uh, the red cards. You boost your attack to like plus 10 or something, and then they cancel it with a card. It uh, it hurts really bad. And uh, it's something you have to watch out for when you're playing Karomo. And I, I think the uh, the fact that that is such an easy trap to fall into when you're first playing them kind of uh, hurt their stats a little bit at the beginning. Okay, what are their weaknesses? What is Kuromo bad at? Why don't you want to play them? Well, uh, first of all, something... Well, uh, first of all, spawning or protecting minions is, is not in the cards for these guys. They have other ways of providing control. They have... They have other ways of providing control. They have those three-cost cards, and, and they also have lots of ways to kill minions uh, in Dragon Punch and Quick Shot. But uh, that you're not going to be spawning minions, and you're also you're not going to be doing anything to stop your minions from dying. Um, they they don't have anything that's going to to mitigate that. So you're all about destroying the enemy's minions, and then uh, leading with a three cost card, so that, that way you can maintain control. Um, also, enemy manipulation. Uh, what I mean by that is basically ways to move the enemy around or control what they're doing. Um, you have a couple of really good cancels in red, but no abilities to move the enemy at all. No pushes, no anything, no sinkholes. And so uh, just look out for that. You have lots of ways to move yourself. You can take care of yourself, which uh, <laughs> kind of goes back to that lore and how they're enhancing the bearer. But they're not very good at, at affecting the enemy negatively. And uh, lastly, their biggest weakness is is kind of the opposite of what I talked about in the strength, just over committing. Um, it, it's a trap uh, all the time. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> they have so many cards that, that feel really good to play, but you have to be very careful with when you play them because they're very powerful, but they also have lots of counterplay, so you just have to be very careful. Now, I want to take a couple of minutes to just talk about uh, some, I guess, beginner mistakes that I see people making when they're playing Karomo. Um, I, I love this faction, and I was very sad to hear that people, it's not their favorite. So I'm just, hopefully with these, just, you know, tips and tricks, uh, if you just implement these couple of things, hopefully you can see the, the fun that Karomo can, can be. They're, they're a blast. So um, really the biggest one, uh, first right off the bat, is committing cards to an attack when your opponent has all of their mana and tons of ways to cancel this attack. Um, like I said before, Karomo has lots of ways to boost their attack power, but there are so many cards in this game that can cancel attacks. Um, the attack action is, in my opinion, the best and most valuable action in the game. And as a consequence, there are tons of cards in every faction that can cancel an attack. And so you need to be really careful when you're committing to an attack on a hero especially when you're playing against someone who has the mana and is playing like uh, maybe a Neptun who has tons of ways to cancel that attack with uh, either redirecting it or moving out of the way or any of the different tricks that they have access to. So uh, really just keeping in mind that if you're going to commit a lot of resources to an attack, make sure you wait until that hero has spent their mana and spent their resources or until your opponent just doesn't have a lot of cards. Now, that won't always be possible, but you really just have to make sure that you know how much of a gamble you're taking, especially in the second or third round when you commit resources to an attack uh, against a hero who has mana. Now, the, the other mistake that I see people making with, uh, with Karomo is not taking advantage of their, their three-cost cards. Uh, now, Karomo has lots of, of three-cost cards. They have more than any other faction in the game at five. And uh, I, they also have a lot of very tempting one-cost cards. And uh, I see a lot of people load their decks up with these one-cost cards. And, uh, and you can get really fun with that. But uh, my, my personal play style with them especially is you need that consistency uh, to be able to lead from the deck and to be able to maintain control. As I said before, they, they don't really have ways of spawning or protecting minions. 
And so you you really need to be able to lead consistently with a three-cost card in order to capitalize on what Karomo is going to do for you. It can also free you up to, uh, to sneak a little bit of aggression in there as well. So uh, I just encourage you to include a few more three-cost cards in a Karomo deck than you would in any of the other factions. I, uh, I sometimes take that to the extreme, but uh, I definitely recommend taking advantage of that, uh, that advantage they have because uh, otherwise you're going to run into problems with, with control. Okay, that ends the, uh, the general overview part of this. We're going to go ahead and start diving into the cards. Uh, so with the cards, I've once again broken them down into uh, different groups so that we can compare them. Uh, I find that just is a lot easier and more productive of a conversation. Let's start with their modifier breakdown. Now, Koromo has no minus ones. Zero in, in their card pool. They do have access to both yellow and green, which have a ton of minus ones, so you can include some. But in their card pool specifically, no minus ones, which makes sense. They're wanting to get those big modifiers when they flip so that they can, uh, they can boost their attacks even more. Now, they do have seven zero, uh, zero plus modifiers, which is eh, it's not bad. Now, they do have eight plus ones, including a three cost card, uh, a fairly solid three cost card and unstoppable, and several two cost cards as well. And then they have, uh, they're, they're tied for the most plus two cards in, uh, in that they have three of them. And they're all one cost. So really good modifiers across the board. If you were to bring just red cards, you could be fairly confident that you would be flipping at least a plus one every time. Uh, how does their mana break down? Uh, well, they're, uh, they're very balanced. Whereas Nupton is, is very heavily weighted into that two mana cost range. Um, Koromo is almost the same amount across the board. They've got uh, no zero-cost cards. Uh, only uh, Leothan and Nupton have those for now. They have uh, seven one-costs, six two-costs, and five three-costs. So a very close spread there between the, uh, the mana breakdown, which is uh, fairly unusual. I, I really it, it gives you some good consistency. And like I said, they do have a ton of three-cost cards, which can really help balance out that control side of your deck. So we're going to start with the uh, the minion control cards uh, for card specifics, and uh, they there are really three of these that uh, you're wanting to pay attention to, and they are a uh, quick shot, combustion, and dragon punch. Uh, it's fairly convenient in that we have one in each mana cost and one in each modifier. So uh, quick shot is a plus two one mana. Combustion is a, a two mana plus one, and dragon punch is a three cost plus zero. Right down the line, all three of them. Now, uh, quick shot. Uh, why would you take one of these over the other? Well, Dragon Punch is pretty much a three of auto include in every deck that I build with these guys. It's an incredible card. It can completely sway a lane. Um, if you don't know what Dragon Punch is, it basically turns your attack into an a AOE cone that attacks uh, about five hexes in front of you, and it can really, really just mess up a lane that the opponent thinks they're winning. So, Dragon Punch, I pretty much include every time, and I don't actually think it uh, belongs in the same conversation with Quickshot and Combustion. Now, uh, Quickshot and Combustion, they are ones that I debate between all the time. So, uh, Quickshot, like I said, it's one cost, plus two, and it's a reaction. And Combustion is two cost, plus one, and it is an action, which means you can only play it on your turn. Quickshot just defeats a target-adjacent enemy minion, and Combustion defeats a target minion, which means it has some range. And then it also lets you deal a little bit of piercing damage to an enemy hero that might be adjacent to it. Um, I tend to lean towards Quick Shot just because it is a reaction and it does have that plus two modifier. And with it being a one mana cost card, it can do a very good job of uh, strengthening your early game. Uh, first turn, getting a Quick Shot in your hand can completely change things, especially if you have someone like Yami or Akimo on your team that you're sending to a lane. Um, a lot of the time, since they're melee heroes, they can get next to a minion, but they can't kill a minion. So it's typically like move skirmish lead, so that way you can apply some pressure. Well, if you have a quick shot in your hand, you can get that first turn pressure of being able to uh, move into position, lead, and also kill a minion. Combustion is also great. It has a plus one modifier. It costs two mana. Uh, my biggest gripe with it is actually the fact that it's an action. If this was a reaction, I think I'd probably take it over quick shot almost every time. But quick shot's utility in that first turn, and uh, the fact that it's a reaction so you can surprise your enemy at the very end of the match, or the very end of the round. Um, they basically think they've won a lane, or they're doing the math in their head, and then you just play it in response to their last action or something, kill a minion. It can be really powerful. So I lean more towards quick shot, but combustion is a great card, and I've, I've definitely secured a kill or two with it. Up next we have the, uh, the movement cards for, uh, for Karomo. 
Now they've got three of them. Uh, the first two, Dodge and Reeve, are basically the same card. And then uh, the last one is Gank, which is, is a lot of fun. So uh, first of all, let's talk about Dodge and Reeve. Now, when I first started playing Kuromo, um, Dodge and Dragon Punch, just so you know, are my two basically auto-includes. Um, and I thought Reeve was worthless. Uh, why would I want to pay one extra mana to be able to do a little bit of my attack damage to an enemy? Um, as I've been playing more and more, like I said, I've started leaning more towards having as many three-cost cards in my deck as I can. And Reeve has gotten real, real good to me. Uh, it's basically like a free attack on top of being able to dodge. So it has that dual utility. Um, I typically will end up bringing like two Reeves and two dodges right across multiple heroes. Um, they both have their, their upsides, but they're both reactions and they both let you move to a target hex within two hexes. So it really just comes down to what you're needing in the deck. Now dodge has a, a they both have a plus zero modifier. So that also kind of has me lean more towards Reeve because being able to uh, lead from the hand or lead from the deck with a Reeve, it means it always has a utility, even if it's just sitting in your hand. So either way, you really do need to include these cards. They're useful for both offensive to make sure your attack lands and defensive to make sure that you can not die. Um, these are the, really the bread and butter of Koromo in, in keeping heroes alive. Lastly, there's Gank in the movement category. Uh, Gank is, uh, I didn't like it, and then I ran it a few times, and it can just, it can win games all alone. It's amazing. It, uh, it is an action, but it basically lets you place the caster in any cover hex on the battlefield. So uh, what this card is so good for, it's a control card. It's all about, well, I'm either close to winning in a lane or close to losing in a lane, and I really need a hero over there, and I don't have fast. So instead, you play gank, and you just teleport over there, and your opponent has no idea. <laughs> they have no way to plan for that. Uh, gank, I, I don't really ever include three of this, but it's a solid in two of include in my decks. I'll typically bring it on my control heroes that I want to be able to, to move around the map like that. Uh, strong card. Okay, let's move on to the uh, utility cards. This is things that uh, buff you or debuff your team. Really, this is just kind of the, the catch-all. Uh, for all the cards that uh, don't really have a home. So uh, the first two are the, the two ways that uh, Akim, or sorry, Koromo has of applying crowd control or slow to an enemy. And they are uh, not so fast and crippling precision. Now, once again, there are some slight differences, but both of these cost one mana. Crippling precision is a reaction with a plus two and not so fast as an action with a plus one. Now, uh, the biggest difference, both of them let you apply slow in a way, but uh, uh, not so fast lets you draw a card. And uh, because of this, I will typically end up going with not so fast in a deck uh, when I'm kind of debating between these two, since they fill the same slot. Even though you do have that reaction on Crippling Precision, I have no idea why it's a reaction. Basically, it gives you plus one attack, and then anytime you damage an enemy hero with your attack or skirmish action, you get to apply slow. I... I mean, as far as I know, there is no way to attack or skirmish out of turn right now. Um, I guess they're actually just kind of leaving that design space open. Maybe in the future there will be a card that will let you attack out of turn, and then that could be really good. But as it stands right now, it might as well be an action, and drawing a card is so good. <laughs> they, it is their only access to card draw, and it replaces itself. So it's applying slow at range, um, and then you draw a power card to replace it. That's why I kind of lean towards not so fast, but maybe something will come out in the future that makes crippling precision uh, much better. The uh, the last utility card that I have in here is Lifesteal. Uh, this is their healing card. I, I love that this is how they get access to healing. Lifesteal, it does what it always does. Uh, all the damage you do with an attack or skirmish action heals you. Uh, now keep in mind, this damage is damage dealt. So if you attack an illusion or a minion or a pillar, all of which only have one HP, you still heal for the full amount of damage you dealt to that enemy. Um, this is a, a great card. Uh, once again, I slept on this for a long time. Then I started playing it, especially with those... Uh, Koromo has a tendency to get melted down pretty quickly. They have a few uh, squishy characters. Throwing down a lifesteal on Kaichi and healing him back to full health in one attack is uh, is really, really strong. Um, I see this as one of their... their really good defensive cards that also it's defensive by being offensive and i i just love that it fits with the theme 
Okay, now let's get into the uh, the cancels. What uh, what cards does a Karomo have that let you cancel or mitigate what the opponent is trying to do? So uh, they have two healing cancel cards, which uh, are the only healing cancel or healing counters in the game right now. They are Burning Scar and Disrupt. Burning Scar is a, uh, a reaction. It just says, next time target hero will be healed, deal zero plus a card damage to them instead. And uh, Disrupt is a three-cost card. It's also a reaction, and it does damage to a bunch of heroes in a line. And then they also can't be healed. Um, I, I lean more towards Disrupt in, in this. Whenever I'm trying to bring in that, uh, I typically have one hero who brings two Disrupts, just so that I can bring them in if I'm playing against a, a blue deck with a Frail. Really just because Burning Scar is so situational, all it does is stop healing, and it's a two-cost card. So it's not really great for leading, it doesn't do anything else, it's very situational, and it only helps you if the enemy is healing. Whereas Disrupt, it's got four range, it's basically an accurate attack. Uh, two plus a card damage is, is quite a bit, and to be able to snipe someone from that far away. It's also a three mana card, so you can always just lead with it, or get lucky leading with it from the deck. So it's just got... It's a whole lot more versatile. There's going to be way more situations where you're happy you have a Disrupt in your hand than you're happy you have a Burning Scar in your hand. So I always bring Disrupt if I'm going to bring one of the two of those. Then we've got uh, two other Cancel cards. We've got uh, Smelt Armor and Arena of Flames. Now Smelt Armor, I it's kind of more of a utility card, but basically it just it's the only counter to armor right now. Um, Granite Skin is a pretty crazy damage card in uh, in green, and Smelt Armor is really the only cancel to it right now. It just gives it just says target enemy hero gets minus two armor. It's got a plus one. It's a reaction. Uh, fairly straightforward. I don't really ever run Smelt Armor. I may have uh, one of them, but I'd much rather just have Piercing. So bring something like Blazing Edge that uh, gives my hero Piercing, or bring a Mage when I'm dealing with armor. But uh, I'm I'm positive that Smelt Armor is going to be very good as a meta starts to develop around armor or granite skin or something like that it's going to be a very good meta card so it's not bad i just there's no real reason to run it right now uh, now that's not true for arena of flames arena of flames is uh, it came in the recent outsiders expansion it's a one cost plus zero reaction and uh, plus zero is it's their only plus zero one mana card and uh, it says only adjacent heroes can target the caster this card is so good. <laughs> um, it uh, it it's really their their Nupton card almost in my mind. Nupton is very good at just saying nope to the enemy, and uh, that's what Arena of Flames is. It, it is very often that you're getting attacked or targeted or anything by someone who's not next to you, and this forces people to have to be next to you. This can be really good for your tanks who want people to be next to them. Uh, this can also be really good to just save someone's life if they're being targeted from far away or, or even if someone's playing just a negative card that needs a target. Uh, Arena of Flames is incredible. So uh, I, I run a, a couple of these uh, always, especially when I'm bringing someone like Kaichi or Akimo who can get melted down fairly quickly. Um, this can really save someone's life. I was uh, playing against Ricardo in my recent league match and uh, <laughs> I targeted an Akimo with a Sakoshi ult and he played Arena of Flames, and that ult just fizzled. It was uh, it was pretty awful. But uh, yeah, it's a great card. I highly recommend bringing it, even though it has that plus zero modifier. You will find a use for it, I promise. Okay, lastly, we have the biggest section of cards. That is the hero damage cards. Um, there are about six or seven of these, and um, we're going to start by comparing Clear Mind, and Brutal Precision, and Crippling Precision. Now, I know I included Crippling Precision in the utility cards, but it does both. So, um, Clear Mind and Crippling Precision both have plus two modifiers for when you flip them. And all three of these cards cost one. Basically, the way this breaks out is you either get plus one attack and a plus two modifier, or plus two attack and a plus one modifier. I tend to lean away from Brutal Precision, just because, I mean, plus two attack is incredible. It's devastating. I would never look down on someone who ran this card in a deck. It's really, really good. I just like having more versatility out of my cards, so I would I would rather have a clear mind that can be used for the plus attack or the remove condition, or the crippling precision that can be used for the plus one attack or the slow. Um, I just like the versatility. That's my own personal mindset, though, and I don't think brutal precision is any better or worse than them. It's just, it's more focused. It only does one thing. Then we've got uh, my favorite discussion between the two cost cards, Blazing Edge versus Burning Rage. So uh, Burning Rage gives you Frenzy, 
which is amazing. Let's you attack twice. This can be used to either attack a hero twice, attack two minions, minion and a hero, whatever you want to do, or Blazing Edge. And uh, Blazing Edge gives you plus two attack, and all attack actions have piercing. Uh, so I'm more partial towards Blazing Edge, at least I was at first. Um, Blazing Edge, it, it lets you get that piercing, and on average, you're going to do maybe two less damage than someone with Burning Rage. But instead, you're only going to use one action, which is incredible. Um, that's And that's against someone with one armor, so as soon as you go up to a tank, Blazing Edge becomes way more effective and way more efficient. But Burning Rage is very versatile, whereas Blazing Edge is really only ever used for attacking heroes. There's really no reason to get piercing against a minion. Burning Rage gives you Frenzy, and Frenzy, I'll be honest, I see it more as a, a control status effect than an aggression status effect. Uh, because two actions is very expensive to spend on someone, and there's so many ways to cancel attacks pretty much permanently, like sliding into the dome or something like that, um, I see Frenzy as more of a way to kill two minions, and sometimes gives you the ability to secure that kill. So, I used to be much more on Blazing Edge. Now, uh, I'll be honest, it's a toss-up for me. I, uh, I'll typically, in, actually, instead of bringing Burning Rage, just bring Unstoppable and Blazing Edge and call it good. This leads into the, the next discussion, which is Burning Rage and Unstoppable. Now, these are the two cards in red that give you Frenzy. One's three cost plus one, and one's two cost plus zero. Um, I, I take Unstoppable every time. It's got that plus one modifier, it's three mana, and it gives you fast as well. That's just three checks as it being better than Burning Rage in my mind. Now, I, I know with Burning Rage, it, since it only costs two mana, there's some combos you can pull off, but I'm not a huge combo person as... Cards are very valuable, and I want to be able to play as few of them as possible to accomplish what I want to do. So, uh, fast is an incredible, incredible status effect, being able to get where you need to. And honestly, most of the time that I have Frenzy, I want fast. Uh, because I need to be able to get into position to land both of these hits and make sure that I can hit both attacks no matter what. And so, it, honestly, it typically comes down between Blazing Edge and Unstoppable for me. And I just end up bringing both. Um, Unstoppable I bring on my control characters along with Dragon Punch. And Blazing Edge I bring on someone who's just going to be aggressive. Alright, that uh, that's all the cards. Let's uh, move on into the heroes. Uh, now, the way that I break down the heroes is I'm going to basically give you the primary and secondary roles of each hero. Then I'll go over like notable cards or combos or any sort of uh, synergies that you need to look out for for this hero. Uh, I'll go over any sort of counters, uh, whether you're playing against this hero or you need to know what to watch out. And then maybe just some uh, some tips that I've picked up as I've played this hero. So uh, once again, the, the hero roles. Uh, there are five roles that I see in this game, primary roles. And uh, each hero can fill one to three of these typically, with uh, one usually being its primary role that it does the best at. And then two, uh, one to two of them that they can kind of, they can be a flex into. So uh, these roles, uh, the first ones, uh, there's two control roles, and then two con uh, two aggression roles, and then one that kind of sits in the middle. So the, the control roles are controller, and that's someone who controls the lane. Uh, this is typically someone who can kill two minions in one turn, or the equivalent of that, like Tlacali or Astrida. Um, this is someone that you can send to a lane, and they can push it and apply pressure uh, by manipulating the minions. Um, specifically that way they can they either kill two minions in a turn or have some way to apply more pressure there now the the second controller role is uh i i called it brawler in the last uh podcast but i have switched over to tamer i like it a lot better and uh someone on the the discord channel came up with that and i think it i think it fits it a lot better so a tamer is uh, someone who you send into the dome and they are going to win this is typically someone who has some sort of movement effect um, by default in their kit, and someone who can take a little bit of a beating. A, uh, a perfect example of a tamer would be Zakol. Zakol has one armor, he does three plus a card damage, and he has a free push on his attack if he can see a pillar. Uh, that is like the quintessential uh, tamer kit to me. And then on top of that, he can kill minions while he's in the dome by removing pillars. And uh, it's just someone who, when you need to tame that that outsider, you send them in and they can do the job. Then we've got our, our two aggression roles, and these are basically the same. Uh, you've got Assassin, which is someone that uh, is good at killing anything that's not a tank. And uh, typically these are people who are actual assassins. And then you've got the Mage, which is someone who's good at killing uh, tanks especially, but can also do plenty of damage to normal heroes as well. 
I typically want to bring at least one mage. They both fill the same role, but uh, it's different enough that I wanted to, to distinguish between them. And then the last one is support, and this is kind of the catch-all. And this is someone who either buffs your team or debuffs the enemy team. Um, a great example of this would be Miyuki uh, in the Kuromo faction. She is devastating to play against. She can disable the entire enemy team, completely shut down aggression, slows people. Um, she's the perfect example of a support character. It's someone who is going to either make your team better or make the enemy team worse. Okay, so for heroes, we're going to just jump right in with Akimo. He is a, a fan favorite. Everyone that I've played against who plays Kuromo, and I'm the same, just loves Akimo. There's something about his flavor and uh, how cool he looks that even though he isn't always the best pick, I find a lot of people just picking him no matter what. So Akimo is an assassin. He's got uh, 4 plus 2 card damage, 18 health, 0 armor, and he's got uh, red-green runes, which uh, surprised me at first because I would think the assassin here would want to have the red-yellow but uh, it ends up working to his favor. Um, he has two abilities. The first one is called Soul Thirst. Akimo has plus one attack while attacking marked enemies. And the second one is called Wrath of Ashiro. Move Akimo one hex toward the marked hero. And that's the ability that he can do when he takes the worship action to mark someone. So Akimo is an assassin through and through. That's his primary role. He's very good at it. Four plus two cards damage with plus one attack. And he can get a little bit of extra movement out of a worship action if he needs to. Um, he is terrifying. If he jumps on a mage, they've got one, maybe two attacks before they are completely dead. And uh, especially if you boost up his attack in any way, he's just an absolute monster. For a secondary role, I actually really like Akimo as a, a, a tamer or a controller. I think he can do either well, but uh, typically Tamer is where I end up putting him. I love sending Akimo into the dome and giving him the tools he needs because he, he doesn't push anybody around. He's not going to shove people out of the dome, but the best CC is death, and he can, <laughs> he can deliver death. And especially in an environment where there are no bushes and it, it's all about being in this contained little battle dome, Akimo really shines. And so uh, if I need him in there, I love sending him in there, especially if someone sends someone kind of squishy like a, uh, a marksman or a mage in there. Akimo is all over that. Now, uh, synergies with Akimo. Uh, Hogasai is probably the best synergy that I've seen. Um, his ability to give opponents minus one armor just lets Akimo do what he wants to do better. Um, they are a terrifying duo to have in the dome together. Uh, playing against a Hogasai Akimo when there's several tamer objectives on the board can be very difficult. Counters to Akimo? Uh, literally anything that counters a melee attack, because that's really, uh, his entire kit is focused towards that, that's all he does. So any movement cards, any cards that make it so you can't be targeted, like redirect, um, anything that would let you get out of range of him uh, by moving around the board is going to counter Akimo very hard. Uh, dodge, time warp, all those. If you're playing a chemo, you need to be very, very aware of those cards because when his attack lands, it's devastating. But he is the—he's kind of the the perfect poster child for what I was talking about with Karomo earlier. He uh, has very big rewards, but there's a very high risk. And especially with a chemo, if you need to either make sure that you're attacking a hero who has already spent their mana, or you have a dodge or something in your hand that's going to let you make sure his attack lands. Because even without any modifiers, it's going to be devastating. You just need to make sure that you can secure that attack. Now, uh, tips for a chemo. Uh, I, uh, I, I was playing against uh, Giacomo, or uh, James, one of the designers for Skytear. And uh, we talked a lot. We actually ended up playing a, a mono-red mirror match. And um, both of us had kind of landed in the same place on Akimo. Um, I love that he has the green runes, and, and here's why. Because green has a lot of really good ways to shut down the counters to attacks. And uh, on Akimo, every time I bring him, I actually don't bring any straight-out aggression cards. I don't bring any, like, brutal precisions or blazing edges. Um, I might bring those on someone else, but on Akimo especially, I bring all of the cards that are going to let him make sure he can attack that hero. Uh, this is things like Amulet of Immovability, which, also, which is from the Green Pool, uh, Thorn Roots from the Green Pool, and also Dodge or Reeve. Um, just making sure that you can be in position to make sure your attack lands. It's ended up making Akimo so much more valuable. When I bring him, I can be sure that I will have the tools I need to make him be effective. Uh, otherwise, if you're not going to do that, just bring Sakoshi. He's ranged, and he does one less damage. It's not the end of the world. 
that's uh, that's really the only tips I have for playing Akimo. Um, I would definitely try it out though, even if you're sold on bringing just aggression cards on him. Um, really, try bringing like two Thorn Roots, two Amulets of Immovability, and then a Reeve on him, and uh, see see how the game goes. I, I think you'll be pleased with the results. Let's uh, let's move on to Hogasai. He is the uh, the tank for Koromo. He is uh, two plus a card damage, seventeen health, two armor, has green and red runes. Um, he is an interesting one. Uh, he has two abilities. They are uh, Radiance. Marked enemies in Hogasai's line of sight have minus one armor. And uh, his mark ability for when he marks someone is Purifying Fire. Hogasai may choose to lose one plus a card HP to deal the same amount of piercing damage to the marked hero. Um, like I said, Hogasai is an interesting one. Uh, there are only three tanks in this game, and he is really the only, like, straight-up aggression tank that uh, is in the game right now. Uh, each of the other tanks, Ixatosk and Brilvar, are very much about controlling and disabling the your enemy uh, or mo manipulating movement around the board, whereas Hogasai is just about enabling your attack attackers to do what they do best. That, uh, that minus one armor, I really wish it was within three hexes and not line of sight, but uh, it is within line of sight. Keep that in mind. And uh, the purifying fire is, one plus a card doesn't sound like much, but with it being piercing, it can actually be quite a bit. Something else to keep in mind with that, uh, since it says lose one plus a card HP, um, his armor doesn't uh, apply to that. So he, he loses the same amount as the enemy does. Now, uh, primary roles for Hogasai. Uh, first of all, he is a great tamer. Uh, I love sending him into the dome. He uh, He's a tank, which means he's going to be great in there because he's hard to kill. And he also has a, a little bit of a damage threat that the other tanks don't, which means that the uh, the typical counter of bringing a mage can get pretty scary against him as he can deal that extra damage. Um, in theory, on a turn, you can deal uh, three plus two cards, I guess, because two plus a card and then one plus a card from your worship, which can be a whole lot on a mage. So the uh, primary role for him is definitely a tamer. He's very good at getting in the dome. He has access to all those green cards for moving people around and pushing them out. You got the sinkholes and the, and the mud floods, everything like that. Um, his secondary role, I would probably say is support. Um, he's, he can also be sent to a lane with someone to kind of support them in what they do. Since he does have access to the green pool, you can bring things like shield slam and quick shot to let him kill minions. And, uh, and he can play those. Really, though, uh, he's best when he's being used to uh, help someone do damage because that's all he really does. Otherwise, he's just a, a body on the board that you might as well bring someone else for. Now, uh, what really makes Hokusai shine... Wait, wait a second. I don't... I never went over Akimo's ultimate. Let's uh, let's quickly go over that real quick. So, Akimo's ultimate. <laughs> Demonic Possession. It's an action. Uh, apply Frenzy and Fast to Akimo. Akimo may immediately take an attack action against a target-adjacent marked enemy hero. This ultimate is so hard to pull off to get those three attacks, but uh, you can use this to pull off three attacks in a turn. Uh, it's incredible. If you ever land it, it feels so good, and even if you just use it to move five and then attack someone twice, it's still it's still a great ultimate. I uh, I love it. Uh, but that getting when when you can line everything up or you can get that that third attack off on a, an already marked hero, it takes so many things to line up for you. But it's uh, it's very satisfying to basically take someone from 18 health to zero in one one card and activation. Anyway, back over to Hogasai. So his ultimate is Supernova. It's uh, it's an action as well, and this card is is really good. It's a deal four damage to all enemies within two hexes. Deals piercing damage to marked enemies. This just flat out does four damage, and two hexes is a big AoE. That is the entire dome if you are standing in it. Um, this is another part of what makes him such a good tamer, is, is since you can mark enemies and then just pierce through and deal just four damage guaranteed through the dome, whatever you need to do, this can really help you secure a kill. Um, that, that two range AoE is so good. <laughs> also, keep in mind it says to all enemies, so this can be used to clear a minion wave. Which, uh, honestly, anytime that Red can get access to clearing a minion wave, they're happy. And uh, several other ultimates can help him out. Notable card combos with Hogasai. Uh, I would really dip heavily into the green pool with them. Uh, since he's mostly going to be used as a tamer, at least uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I typically bring a lot of those really good movement cards in green. Things like Slide, um, 
Twisted Allegiance, which is just a nasty card, Sinkhole, Mud Flood, all of those just dipping in there to get all of that movement so you can really manipulate the enemy. Um, Hokusai can be very good at that uh, since he's a tank and he can take advantage of those. Um, counters to him, honestly, just staying away from him. He doesn't do much besides get rid of your armor. So uh, you can really just kind of ignore the guy as long as you're not some squishy, squishy mage. Um, he He's only as scary as you let him be, really. Um, he can feel kind of useless in some games where he just kind of stands there and leads with a card and then doesn't do much else uh, as you kind of don't give him the opportunity to move and attack someone. Uh, lastly, any tips for playing a Hokusai? Um, really just, like I said, a dip into green. Uh, I find that that really goes well. It gives you a very strong presence in the dome, and uh, that minus one to armor can make a huge difference in killing someone that's in the dome for those aggression uh, objectives. But uh, yeah, that's Hokusai. Uh, not much to him. He's he's fairly straightforward, pretty focused, I uh, but a, a lot of fun if you use him correctly. Let's move on to the... Uh, the mage for Koromo. This is Kaichi, I think is how you say it. Um, I'm probably going to slaughter all these names once again, and I apologize to anyone who speaks Japanese. Um, so, Kaichi is a mage. He's got uh, he's ranged, 3 plus a card damage, 14 health, no armor. He's got yellow-red runes, so he has the ability to bring in those uh, AoE yellow cards. Um, he's got two abilities, and Kaichi's really interesting because he is the... Uh, I kind of consider him to be the support mage. Uh, there's three mages or four mages in the game right now. And uh, Kaichi is very, uh, he's got lots of support abilities, which is, it, it gives him his own little niche and I like it. Kaichi's first ability is Rejuvenation. Uh, heal Kaichi one HP whenever he damages a marked enemy. Keep in mind that says damages. So uh, mages, as pretty much anyone who's played this game knows, die very quickly. And the best counter to a mage is to just attack them a few times and then they just kind of fall over. So the ability to heal 2 to 3 HP for free every turn, or even off your turn by just playing some sort of direct damage yellow card, is really strong. It actually kind of a lot of the times I've seen my opponents will not be as inclined to attack him because they know he's just going to heal back up and so they'll go for a different target like maybe a Sakoshi. His, uh, his second ability, his uh, mark ability, is really the bread and butter of Kaichi, and it's called uh, Written in Fire. It says, predict X plus 1, where X is the number of marked enemy heroes in Kaichi's line of sight. So this is uh, one, of t one of three sources of predict in the game, or four, I guess. Uh, two of those come from cards, and two of those come from heroes. And of the ones on heroes, Kaichi's is uh, the best. Um, you are guaranteed to predict two, and uh, two is incredible, and you can a lot of the times end up predicting three if there's even just one other enemy hero marked besides the one you just marked. Predicting is amazing, especially for red. Like I've mentioned, they really need to be able to uh, lead with confidence with a three-cost card, preferably lead from the deck, uh, because you want to be able to utilize the cards in your hand, and you don't have a lot of ways to boost your control. You don't have a presence or anything like that. And so you need to be able to lead with confidence, and Kaichi's ability is going to let you do that. Uh, on top of that, he's a mage, so he's going to do lots of damage and half piercing. And uh, he can bring in those yellow cards so he can help you with wave clear. He's just very versatile. Uh, now his ultimate, Curse of Years, is an action. It says, deal damage to, uh, to target enemy hero equal to half of their current HP. If the target is marked, heal Kaichi for the amount of damage dealt. Once again, Kaichi can be very elusive. I, I, because of this and his rejuvenation ability, I often find opponents just kind of ignore him, like they, and unlike other mages where they'll focus him down, because it's so easy to just play a Curse of Years down on some tank, deal 9 damage to them, heal Kaichi all the way up to full, and just uh, make really kind of uh, let the wind out of their sails. Uh, a really great ultimate. I I wish it was a reaction, as always, but it is an action, so you have to play it on your turn, which is probably better, because otherwise you could just surprise the enemy by uh, by healing up, which is what Miyuki does, and we'll get to her next. Um, what is Kaichi's primary role? Uh, well, he's a mage, and he'll always be a mage. He has piercing, he can do the damage, he has access to the yellow cards, so if you want to play him as aggression mage, he can be. Um, I, I really like him in more of a support role, though, and the fact that he does both very well uh, makes him very, very flexible. Uh, the ability to keep himself alive, 
let your team predict and then also bring direct damage that's piercing makes him super versatile so his primary roles are our mage and support and a secondary roles they're there i mean that's really what he does he's there to support your team he doesn't really have any secondary roles he does those first two roles so well that uh, it makes him very versatile now uh counters to him or any synergies i guess if there's ever a card added to the pool that lets you mark people, that'll be a big synergy. But honestly, that's true for uh, actually him more than most uh, because he can get access to more predicting. But there isn't as of now, so there aren't any huge synergies for Kaichi. Um, any counters to him? Uh, burning The, the anti-heal cards, Burning Scar and uh, Disrupt in the Kuromo pool, they're going to be great uh, just to stop him from getting that uh, that heal. Also, um, just damage. I mean, he is still a mage. He still only has 14 health and no armor. So even though he can heal a little bit every turn or, or with those abilities, he's still worth killing. So uh, he has the same weakness as every other mage. Just kill the guy. Now, any uh, tips for playing Kaichi? Well, uh, the way I typically play him is I, I will bring a few of those wave clearing cards from yellow. Uh, I'll typically, I like to play him as kind of an aggression support. So I will bring a lot of the aggression cards that I wish Akimo or Sakoshi had. Um, and then I'll only bring him when I'm playing an aggressive match. So he brings those cards into the pool. He brings a few of the, uh, the AOE wave clears, like a wind blast, uh, just to kind of help with the lane and just kind of rounds my card pull out. Uh, not a ton of tips with Kaichi though. Just make sure you're, you're getting the most out of that healing ability. And uh, don't forget about predict. Um, predict is incredible. Up next, we have Miyuki, the support for Kuromo. Miyuki is a monster. She's so, so hard to play against. I uh, didn't respect her at first, but uh, we'll get into that. So, she's a support, so her stat line is 2 plus a card, ranged, 16 health, and 1 armor. She has uh, yellow-red runes, and uh, her abilities, are, are they're really where she shines, just like every other support. So, her uh, first ability is Soul Keeper. It says, marked enemy heroes within 3 hexes have minus one attack, and do not flip cards during attack actions. Uh, also, keep in mind that says within three hexes. Unlike Hokusai, she does not need line of sight. Um, this ability right here is really the biggest reason why she is so good at disabling and such a good support. Um, I mean, take someone like Akimo, for instance. Uh, if he's attacking and he's marked and Miyuki's within three hexes, he goes from doing four plus two cards of damage so 4 plus 2 to 3 damage, and that's it. Uh, that's the difference between, uh, I mean, with a chemo, when you're flipping two cards, on average you'll flip about 1.5 of damage, uh, typically in a deck. So we'll just round up and say 2. That takes you from 6 damage to 3, all just by being marked. And on top of that, when she marks someone, her next ability is Spirits of Sorrow. Apply slow to the marked hero. So not only are they going to attack worse when they're near you, but they can't get away from you because they've just been slowed. And any way that you can apply slow in this game is is really, really good. Both slow and fast have so many uses for enabling and disabling heroes. They are very, very good. Uh, then you've got her ult. It's uh, a reaction, one of two reaction ults in Kuromo. And uh, it's it's really mean. Uh, it's called Cage Soul. Choose a friendly hero on the battlefield. When that hero would be defeated this hero's phase, heal them to full HP instead. This is uh, it's the only time I've ever like attacked a hero at 1 HP and hoped I don't kill them. Um, Miyuki ult is really, really good. Uh, like I said, she excels at shutting down aggression, which is great because Kuromo is the aggression faction, and she is very good against Kuromo. In a mirror matchup, Miyuki will do some work. Cage Soul is so good. So, what roles does Miyuki fill? Well, she's a support, through and through. Uh, you can also kind of use her as a tamer. I, I typically, uh, for a secondary role, I typically like to keep her in the dome because that makes it more likely that heroes are going to be within three hexes of her. Uh, since her ability can cross that dome line, I like having her in there. But uh, she's a support. That's what she does. You bring her to apply slow and shut down aggression and then play that cage soul and, and make sure the opponent has to think about whether or not you have cage soul at all times. A secondary role, you can you put her in the dome. She helps apply pressure in there. You can send her to a lane. There's no reason you can't. But uh, typically, I, I have her as a tamer. Any synergies with Miyuki? Not, not really. Uh, there aren't really any notable synergies with her. 
She's really good to bring with Kaichi or Sakoshi or really anyone who's who's squishy, who can die very easily. Um, she can shut down that aggression and help keep them alive. So whether you're bringing uh, some sort of mage or just someone with low health or who's a target, bringing Miyuki, she's, uh, in my opinion, the best guardian in the game. Uh, you've got Frail who can heal, and that's incredible, but she can only heal blue heroes, whereas Miyuki is all about marking the enemy and she can shut them down and make sure they can't kill your character. Uh, counters to Miyuki. Well, the healing cards, uh, Burning Scar and Disrupt, once again. Uh, anything that counters healing is going to get rid of Cage Soul, which is uh, really, really bad. And uh, other than that, there really there aren't a ton of counters to Miyuki, just removing status effects, I guess. But uh, since she doesn't have to be within line of sight of you, and since she's fairly tanky at 16 health and 1 armor, um, she's not really the greatest target for aggression, since she can shut you down so hard, and she also um, doesn't have to have line of sight of you, so she's hard to escape. But uh, something that will move her, so for instance, uh, Twisted Allegiance is great, as you can move her three hexes away, and then uh, she's no longer in range to, to give you that, that flip of cards. That's really the only way to counter her, though, is just kind of stay out of her area of effect, and uh, any way that you can remove Mark from yourself will uh, will really help. Uh, tips for playing Miyuki? Um, mark people. Yeah, keep her in the dome. That's probably my biggest tip, is just keep her towards the middle of the map, and if you put her in a lane, make sure that she stays right on the edge of the dome. That way, her, her area of effect reaches more than just one lane of influence. Um, the closer to the edge of the lane you get, the more hexes you're wasting in that, that circle around her that she affects. So just like when you're playing Leothan, try to keep her near the dome so that that three hex range can affect more enemies. Honestly, I, I don't have much more to say about Miyuki. Um, I didn't necessarily like her when I first looked at her. I played her once and immediately fell in love. Definitely try her. She is an incredible disabler. Even in matches that aren't about aggression, um, that ability to apply slow on command is really, really good. And Cage Soul always comes in clutch. Um, your opponent always has to worry that you have that. So give Miyuki a try. She is way better than uh, than you think, honestly. She is terrifying. Up next we have the, uh, the Marksman for uh, Kuromo, Sakoshi, the Lava Tamer. He, uh, he's got a Marksman stat line, so 3 plus 2 cards at range. 15 health and no armor, so just barely tankier than a, a mage, but Sakoshi can die real quick, just like a mage. Uh, he's got green and red runes, just like uh, Akimo, and uh, he, I, I like Sakoshi. There, there's two marksmen in the games right now, uh, Akla and Sakoshi, uh, one's green and one is red, and uh, both of them have the same mana runes, but and both of them have basically the same abilities, but Sakoshi has an ability that lets him kill a minion, and Akla has an ability that lets him damage a hero. So Sakoshi's more of the, the control variant of the marksman. So his, uh, his two abilities are, first, Eagle Eye. Sakoshi has line of sight towards any marked enemy within three hexes. This, uh, basically, if someone's marked and they're within three hexes of him, it doesn't matter if they're in cover or inside the dome or something, he can still see them, he can still target them for an attack. His second ability is Explosive Shuriken. Uh, when he marks someone, it says, deal one plus a card damage to an enemy minion adjacent to the marked hero. I'll be honest, this one doesn't come up all that often. Uh, it's fairly rare that I'm able to mark someone who's next to a minion. But when it does, I, I love the fact that it is there. And honestly, the reason why it doesn't come up very much is because enemies know it's there, and so they don't end their turn next to minions. Um, it's a really good threat. It just lets you kind of get that extra minion kill off to the side. And all it takes is marking someone, which is something you typically want to do anyway. A really great ability. I, I prefer it to Aqua's ability to do damage. Then his, uh, his ultimate is where he really shines. This ultimate is crazy. It is an action. It's called Shuriken Storm. It says, uh, Sakoshi's attack actions hit all enemy minions and all marked enemy heroes in line of sight in addition to their original target. So basically you just kill every minion you can see and er you hit every marked enemy that you can see as well. Um, it, this is an incredible ultimate. Uh, it, it's Dragon Punch, but better. It just kills every minion in line of sight. Like there's, there's nothing else to say. It's just amazing. It is an action, so be careful. And the other thing to be careful of with this is if, let's say, you target a hero, 
uh, like I was mentioning before, um, I, I had this ult fizzled by an arena of flames. So if you target a hero and then for some reason they become an invalid target with the, the shuriken storm, you are, are that the entire thing fizzles because it only goes off if it can hit the original target. So be careful. Uh, a lot of the times it's going to be tempting to attack a hero who's not marked so it hits them as well as a bunch of other stuff. But you're oftentimes a whole lot safer just attacking a minion and not worrying about the hero that you could have hit because getting those four or five minion kills is going to be way more important than maybe hitting a hero. So be really careful because there is nothing worse than getting a Sakoshi ultimate fizzled. Okay, uh, roles that Sakoshi fills. Uh, well, his his primary role, I would say, is uh, is a controller. He's he's really the other lane controller in Kuromo, uh, next to Yami, who we'll get to next. He uh, he has that ability to kill an extra minion sometimes, and then he has that ultimate that can just come in clutch. And on top of that, he uh, he's ranged, so he has the ability to uh, to kill minions from range, stay safe, all of that. Uh, his secondary role would be Assassin. He's He does plenty of damage. 3 plus 2 cards is a ton. Plus, it's a whole lot harder to counter his attacks since he's not melee. So uh, sometimes I'll bring him instead of a chemo, and I'm worried the enemy might have uh, more tricks up their sleeve. Um, but those are really the two roles he fills. I would say primarily he's a controller, but he's a, a strong secondary assassin as well. Any synergies for Sakoshi? Uh, I don't really know that there are any strong synergies for him. Uh, Hokusai is great to pair with if you're trying to be aggressive. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's really good if you can get cards that will let him kill minions, basically. But everyone is, so... Um, not No strong synergies there. In theory, if you can get Frenzy along with Shuriken Storm, you can attack everything twice in a turn. But since it already costs three mana, you'd either have to have Sky Tear Flux or um, it be turn four. And those types of combos are... I mean, you can only plan for them so much, so... Uh, counters to Sakoshi. Like I said, if he targets a hero with with his ultimate, um, pretty easy to counter. If you can get that attack to fizzle, it no longer kills all the minions in his line of sight. Uh, also, kill him. Uh, I feel like people uh, kind of forget this with marksmen sometimes since they are a little bit safer, but he only has 15 health. Um, he is a great target for an obstinacy or an onslaught objective. Just jump on the guy and kill him. He'll deal some damage back, which is scary, but he's not going to hold up to much. Now, uh, general tips for playing Sakoshi? Uh, I, I don't really have any, honestly. He He's very straightforward. He's one of the, the few heroes who I think he plays exactly how you would think he plays by reading his card. So um, I typically like to run like Unstoppable and Dragon Punch on him and then maybe a couple of quick shots. But uh, you can run him however you want. He's a, he's a solid hero who does what he says does what it says on the tin, basically. So uh, lastly, let's move on to Yami. Last but not least, this is the uh, the main controller for Karomo. She's a specialist, and uh, she's got a, a specialist lineup. She's a melee specialist, so she's got two plus a card melee, uh, 18 health, and one armor. She is a lot of fun. Uh, she's got yellow-red uh, runes on her, and she's, her two abilities are first, Deathly Touch, and this is her bread and butter. This is what really makes Yami Yami. The first time Yami moves through an enemy minion, each activation, deal one plus a card damage to it. Now there are a couple of caveats with this ability that uh, you can't end your turn on a minion and then kill it, and you can't use skirmish to move through a minion because you're not allowed to end movement uh, in the same space as a minion, and this ability doesn't trigger until after movement ends. So keep that in mind, that's a very, very easily missed uh, rule there, but still an incredible ability. Yami is the only hero in Kuromo who can consistently kill two minions on one turn. And since she has access to yellow, she has access to all the fast cards in the game, which are going to help her do it. And uh, she is the one that you can send off into a lane by yourself, and uh, she'll take care of it. Uh, her second ability, her mark ability, is, is fun because it adds a little bit of aggression. It's called Shadow of the Reaper. Place Yami adjacent to marked enemy hero and deal one plus a card damage to them. Uh, this gives Yami a little bit of threat if you put her in a lane up against someone like an Astrida uh, or a, a Tlakali, who uh, it's good to have that damage pressure on them. She can do it. She can teleport to them. It kind of helps, uh, means that people can't just slow her to make sure she can't walk over minions. Um, she can always try to, she can get into range where she needs to. 
Now, uh, primary role for Yami, controller. She kills two minions in one turn. She checks that box. She uh, is also great if you just want to put, like, one red hero in your list. Uh, Yami's Rami isn't very reliant on marking, so you can just bring her, put her in a lane all by herself, and even if she never takes the worship action all game, she's going to do what you brought her to do. Oh, I, I forgot about her ultimate. Once again, this is my favorite ultimate in the, uh, the Kuromo lineup. It's a reaction. It's called Kneel Before Me, and it says, Deal 4 damage and apply slow to target enemy hero. Place the target adjacent to Yami and mark them. Keep in mind, it doesn't say place the target in uh, adjacent target hex or anything. So the real strength of this card is you place Yami right on the edge of a control token or right on the edge of a dome, and then you hold on to her ultimate until you absolutely have to play it. At the last possible moment you can, you play it, you grab a hero who is currently contributing to a control token, and you put them outside of range of it. Uh, this is what the card is so, so good at. The damage and the slow are awesome. They're very good, but you should really, really, really be trying to use this card to move someone out of range of a control token because there is nowhere they can hide. As long as she can see them, there is nowhere they can go that she can't move them out of range. So really the only counter to this is just being inside of a bush. And so don't sleep on this ultimate. It's so good. Back to her roles, her primary role is is, uh, is controller, and then a, a secondary role, I, I don't really know that she has one. She can apply a little bit of pressure to help an aggression game, but Yami is really just a controller through and through. It's what you bring her for, she doesn't really do much else. Any synergies for her? Uh, fast. Get her fast. Um, I, I typically bring uh, four or five of the two one-cost cards that give her fast in turn one. Also, Quick Shot in red that lets you kill an adjacent enemy minion. All, all three of those cards are going to be very important when you're bringing Yami to make sure you have them turn one. I will mulligan almost anything to make sure I have one of those, because it's going to let her get into position, lead, and also be able to kill a minion to keep up with the, uh, the other heroes, uh, other controllers in the game. A really big synergy with Fast. It really helps her to be able to move through that minion so she can get that minion kill. Um, more than really any other hero, Yami wants fast. Now, counters to Yami. Um, honestly, just where you place minions, keep in mind that she wants to be able to move through a minion and still end her turn next to one so she can attack one. So just make sure you keep that in mind when you're placing them. And then also slow. Slow is, just like fast, is really good for her. Slow is devastating because it, it uh, reduces your movement to one, which means you can't move through a minion. It's the same problem as with the skirmish action. So a slow is devastating because she can no longer do her move attack lead that she wants to be able to do. Yeah, that's a pretty hard counter. Honestly, don't try to kill Yami. That's not a counter at all. She's really tanky and she doesn't do a ton of damage. So if you can just slow her down, put stuff in her way, just make sure she can't move through that enemy minion and uh, suddenly she just becomes any other hero. Now, uh, tips for playing Yami. The biggest tip is just make sure you use Kneel Before Me to pull someone out of range of a control point. Uh, it's it, it, the best way. It's the only card that does that. It's basically, uh, this card here is the reason they banned Grapple, because this is so good that only an ultimate should be able to do it. Other tips, uh, don't be afraid to mulligan a whole bunch of cards to try and get a fast or a quick shot. Turn one when you have her. Uh, mulliganing for fast or mulliganing for quick shot is completely acceptable. I will often mulligan four, five, or even maybe all six of my cards just trying to get those turn one cards because it makes a huge difference on her if she can move all five, get through that minion, and also lead. I think that about does it. We made it through all the, uh, the heroes. So once again, Kuromo. It is an aggressive faction. They've got a whole lot of answers for uh, for how to kill heroes and get in people's faces. Uh, one of my favorite parts about this faction is just that they're all about taking action. Uh, it's not so much about responding to what your enemy does. It's about taking the first move and getting out there and doing something, having a plan, capitalizing on some sort of weakness or vulnerability. As opposed to some of the other factions that are very much about responding and reacting to what your, op your opponent does. Um, and remember, keep in mind that they have all those three-cost mana cards. Bring them. Bring more than you think you need. It will help out a lot when you're leading from the deck. They're very, very explosive. Make sure you time that uh, that attack, that, that moment right. 
Whenever you're going to commit those resources to something, make sure that you've thought about what they could do to counter it and made sure that, that uh, they don't have the mana to do those things. Because if you can land their abilities, they are devastating. But there's a lot of counters to them. High risk, high reward, lots to take into consideration. A fantastic, fun faction to play. They're, they play a little bit differently than you'd think. And there can be some devastating woes if you uh, don't know what to expect from enemies' responses. But once you get the hang of it and you, you have a good idea of what the card pool is, Kuromo can be so much fun to play. That, uh, that does it for us today. They're my personal favorite right now. Although I've, I've really just found that as I've started playing each faction a whole lot to prepare for their episode, they've become my favorite. Um, I, I've started playing a whole lot of green. Talot's up next, and, and they're slowly becoming my favorite. So give Kuromo a try if you haven't. Keep these things in mind, and you will have a blast. Uh, Mono Red is so much fun to play, and I highly recommend it to anyone. I, uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed yourselves. Uh, like I said, next week we will be doing a, a Talot deep dive. And then uh, the week after that, we'll finish it up with a Leothan deep dive and round out our four factions just in time for the, uh, the next expansion to come out and make all of this information useless. Um, <laughs> hope you're all staying safe out there. I know it's a hard time, but uh, I appreciate you listening, and uh, go play some Skytear. 